up, haters? Welcome to the Two Minute Hate. I'm Evan Barrett, broadcasting live from the Raider Cove. Got my puppet dog Arnold right here. I just spilled a bunch of Diet Pepsi on my keyboard. Had a little meltdown, but seems like the computer is still operating. I should probably be backing up things in the cloud right now instead of potting, but you know, I like to live dangerously. Um, it's becoming holiday time, which I like, but one of the things, I mean, I shouldn't even say I'm mad about this, it just confounds me. Um, every time the Christmas ads start, there's always an ad where a husband or wife buys the other a car, and there's a car with a bow on it in the driveway. Uh... And that's fine, like, maybe ads don't need to represent reality, but I just think that's never happened in real life. Like, if you're rich enough that you can buy a Mercedes, because that's the other thing, usually these are luxury cars. If you're rich enough that you can buy a Mercedes, and you want a Mercedes, you probably just buy it. I can't imagine the situation where someone really wants a Mercedes, and their partner makes without consulting them, like, an $80,000 purchase that's a surprise. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but maybe that's the point. It's just, like, wouldn't it be so cool if this was a gift, even though it never is? Okay, anyways, probably nobody but me finds that interesting. Um, apparently... This is like a public service announcement. Apparently, Amazon mispriced a bunch of Sharp brand TVs that are supposed to be sold between for between five hundred and six, or sorry, five thousand and six thousand dollars, and they're being sold today for five hundred to six hundred dollars. So, my roommate just bought like five ninety-inch TVs. <laughs> I don't know, with the intention of reselling them. But I don't know where we're going to put them uh, just while we're keeping them. But I guess we'll figure that out. Uh, but yeah, check that out if you want. I don't know. They'll probably fix it within a day. But uh, special, special service announcement for the listeners. Quick media review. Um, Lady Dynamite is the best show on Netflix. It's the comedian Maria Bamford has a show that's like, it's very much about mental health. Like, it's a comedy, but like, and it's very surreal, but I think it, a lot of what it's doing is like trying to present the world as a bipolar person experiences it. And it's like very well done and hilarious. And one of the things I like best about it is like, I never liked Maria Bamford's stand-up, or like, I liked it, but... It didn't hit perfectly for me. Um, but I don't know if other people have had this experience, but when I heard her stand-up, but also when I saw her on talk shows, I was like, this is a very funny person, but the stand-up like, goes a particular direction that is not my direction. And then this TV show goes like exactly my direction, and it's like, such a funny way of... Uh, like, capturing what's funny about her. And I also really liked her on um, 
season four of Arrested Development as like Tobias's drug addicted uh, temporary girlfriend. Uh, so yeah, check out Lady Dynamite. I don't know what else to say about it. There's not like plot really. It's just hilarious, and like a lot of the character actors are. Um, like Anna Gostire is on it from SNL. She's hilarious. Um, there's this dude who plays her manager, who's probably the funniest guy on the show. It's this strange, big fat Danish guy. I think plays her husband, and he's pretty funny. It's just good. Check it out. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Roy Moore. Um, before I talk about Roy Moore. Today, I think, maybe I wasn't paying attention and it came out before, but either today or yesterday or, I don't know, in the last couple days, this woman, Leanne Tweeden, uh, accused Al Franken of, like, sort of groping her while she was asleep, perhaps, and making out with her against her will and the whole story's weird like they were performing a sketch on a USO thing this is before he was a senator but I'll just say this like we're reaching the limits of the like believe all victims thing which like I don't know if people bought into in the first place I mean some people call it like a suspension of due process but you know Everyone in American society still has access to due process. Believing victims is about suspending due process in terms of public opinion, which is a different... There is no due process in public opinion. It's just saying, I will believe women who accuse men of sexual misconduct. And in general, uh, that makes sense, because there's a lot of stigma and... Uh, like there's a lot of consequences to making an accusation and there's a lot of incentives for the woman to stay silent. And so given that a woman may pay a price for even making an accusation, it does make sense that people who want to support the victims of sexual misconduct and sexual abuse would say, we're going to create a community that is committed to believing you before we even look at the facts because that can create an environment where victimized people are more likely to come out. Um, And I think we have to say that that movement might have succeeded a little bit because, you know, we now are in a situation where this Me Too thing, like the, the cumulative weight of all these accusations coming out appears to be making it easier for other women to tell their stories. And I think there's things that make me a little bit uneasy about the Me Too phenomenon. Um, I'm pro people coming forward with allegations, but I am concerned about sort of like the media being entrusted with adjudicating these things and communicating the details to the public and all that stuff like I don't I I'm I'm made a little uneasy by that and yet I still have to acknowledge there's something like very powerful and uh 
cathartic about all these people feeling like the environment has changed and they can now say something that happened to them that maybe they felt they couldn't say before. That being said, uh, I don't know if I was ever a believe-all-victims person. Probably, in truth, I was not. I look at stories and decide based on the details, you know, what I think the relative probabilities of truth are, and I suspect everyone does this in their mind. You have sort of a, like, this person seems 100% credible, that person seems 90% credible, this person has some holes in their story. Um, you know, there's examples you could point to where there's, like, a real divide between people who, uh, like, I'll give you an example. I'm forgetting this girl's name, but that's fine, because I don't want to mention it anyway. There's a young woman, I believe it was at Yale, who, uh, accused a fellow student, um, of rape, and carried a mattress around as part of an art project called Carry That Weight. Now, if you... If you just, like, read the internet, I'll tell you this. On certain parts of the internet, without any context or attribution uh, or consideration of that we don't know exactly what happened, a certain kind of outlet on the internet will say, you know, victims of sexual violence like... uh, like this young woman at Yale, and then just refer to her and a list of other victims and move on. On more conservative outlets, or maybe not even conservative, but also some more skeptical of the current environment outlets, they will say straightforward frauds like that girl at Yale. And so these two, these two parts of society are taking the same information and using it to draw very different conclusions. Now, that information is something like, you know, the school did not have sufficient evidence uh, to, you know, expel or punish the accused party, and in fact ended up having to pay him money because they bungled this thing and there was uh, not enough evidence for them to you know, to hold him to account, and because they made moves to keep him off campus in the absence of such evidence, he successfully sued them and got a lot of money. Some people look at that and say, well, a school wouldn't pay this guy unless they'd done something wrong to him. Uh, So obviously, you know, that girl wasn't telling the truth. Another kind of person looks at that and says, institutions always fail to punish sexual abusers. Um, So it's no surprise that this kid got away with it or that the school gave him money. And that's just evidence of how much the system is not designed to help these victims. And so you have, you know, I only point this out. I don't... I don't have any opinion on that case. Um, I think it's confusing. The details that I've read are confusing, and I have not drawn a conclusion uh, about what happened. And I, I, I have concluded that I don't know what happened. All I mean to say is that uh, 
um, people look at the same set of facts and draw the exact opposite conclusions, which obviously is true in every part of our society. But it's just important to remember that, um, you know, people are speaking as if there's a conventional wisdom that's been decided upon, and they're moving forward with that conventional wisdom as evidence in their pocket for the argument they want to make. But there is no consensus. Um, They will refer to it as if there is a consensus, but there is no consensus. Um, So maybe the claim they're making is something like, well, among right-minded people, we all view situation X this way. But I think even that's not true. I mean, I think you would only make such a claim if you hadn't sufficiently interrogated your own community. And all of this is just leading me to say Al Franken was accused of groping and forcibly kissing this woman, Leanne Tweeden, um, while on a USO tour. The story is something like Al Franken wrote a sketch in which they kissed and he insisted on rehearsing with her, which she didn't want to do, and then he sort of shoved his tongue down her throat, and then there's a picture that's emerged of her appearing to be asleep with his hands either over or on her breasts. Uh, And the hang-up for me with this accusation is just that in the time since that story took place, uh, Al Franken has become a Democratic senator, and Leanne Tweeden has become a conservative voice on the radio. And look, like, Al Franken's a powerful man. I don't think Democrats, I mean, some of the biggest sexual abusers we have are Democrats. Nothing about my suspicion of this case uh, has to do with the political alignments of the two people. It's more just like, you know, if someone's like a famous, I don't know, It's like if someone's a famous Yankees fan and someone's a famous Red Sox fan uh, and everything they think about the world is in diametric opposition and then one accuses the other of, uh, you know, a crime against them, I'd be suspicious. And so I'm suspicious of Leanne Tweeden's story. You know, it's plausible that what she's saying could be true. I don't know. It's not true. Powerful men try to get away with stuff. I'm not going to go around calling her a liar. I'm just saying that my compassion sort of hits hits its limits when it's so easy to see the reason why one person would want to ruin another person. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Maybe it's bad. Uh, maybe Leanne Tweeden deserves the benefit of the doubt and to even introduce reasons why a person would lie is sort of like a position to take that's not helpful to addressing the problem of sexual violence. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to explain what's going on in my brain and that in my brain it makes sense that if you're in a conservative talk radio world, you're sitting around all day thinking about how Democrats are ruining society and then you or someone around you realizes that you had this experience in your life that if you chose to 
could be used to really damage the reputation of a popular Democratic senator. Uh, I just think anyone could talk themselves into that. I probably could. I mean, it's a bad thing to do if it is, in fact, uh, not really an accurate story she's she's peddling. Um, but it's an understandable one. Um, and again, I, I do not mean to communicate that I am... I have made the conclusion that Leanne Tweeden is lying. I am saying that when I read about the story, the details of it make give me pause more than other similar stories. Um, so I don't know. And I think what's difficult is that in this case, we know we are aware of a certain competitive dynamic that could exist between, you know, a Republican activist and a Democratic senator. Um, You know, there are also other ways to look at this. I mean, someone could say maybe she was driven to be conservative because she was assaulted by uh, a very liberal guy who then ran for Senate, and that convinced her that all these progressives who talk about, like, gender equality and all this other stuff are full of shit. Like, that could be a person's personal narrative. Um, but, you know, it's just interesting because in this, in this case, the reason why someone might lie is very obvious. Um, whereas in so many others, it's, it, you know, we know nothing about the people. Um, so, yeah... It, Moving on to someone who uh, I give no benefit of the doubt and, and seems like a total piece of shit, I just wanted to talk about Roy Moore a little bit because I think I think there's something happening that I view as negative where, like, you know, it is extremely disturbing that, you know, Roy Moore is accused of sort of like sexual exploitation of several girls who at the time it happened were 14 or 15. He has sort of copped to dating high schoolers when he was in his 30s, but uh, says that what happened is different than the women are now describing. Um, I think that it's the the thing I just wanted to get at here is that um, so Fox News has sort of defended Roy Moore. Um, it's very odd. There was a a very like surreal Hannity interview with Roy Moore where Sean Hannity is trying to get Roy Moore. He's like trying to help him out, being like, "Okay, maybe you did that, but surely you didn't do this." And Roy Moore is just like in don't-give-a-fuck mode. Like, he's not letting Hannity help him. He's just being like, I don't know, whatever. Like, this was a different time, and, like, blah, blah, blah. I always ask the mothers for permission. Like, very bizarre. Um, But one thing I just wanted to get to is, like, I have mentioned to several friends, like, oh, man, like, Mitch McConnell is working really hard to get rid of this guy. Like, they want this guy out. Now, it's incredibly disturbing that 
to me that like a large number of voters, including religious voters, seem like they're still going to vote for the guy. Um, but I see, at least situated in D.C. where I am and having friends that work for the Republican Party and sort of knowing where their mind's at, like, I see a lot of effort being put into trying to get rid of this guy. And when I mention that to more liberal friends, people will say things like, oh, yeah, because, like, they love holding themselves accountable and, like, oh, yeah, because Trump got punished. And, like, you know, Trump is something that they are and will forever be responsible for. But I also think the presidency is unique and a lot of people view it as unique because of... um, like, unique presidential powers, including appointing Supreme Court justices. A lot of people compromise their own beliefs. But this guy is trying to be one one one-hundredth of the Senate. You know, the margins there are very low. Um, But I just do want people to believe that there is a Republican effort to get rid of this guy. Not only based on what he's done, but also because... There is, like, a problem, and I think the Republicans are going to deal with this in the fallout of Trump for a while, is, like, winning is not always the best long-term thing for your political movement. Like, if winning comes at the cost of permanently associating you with something that is bad, it may not be good for you, and it may assist some narratives that people use to criticize you, and... As anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm like a big uh, National Review cuck, and uh, it's a place I always read and listen to their podcasts. And I just wanted to, I think Charles Cook, their online editor, explained this dynamic pretty well on their podcast, so I'm just going to play a little section of that. It's also just bad for your agenda, because one of the problems with progressivism is they don't actually believe anybody who disagrees with them. If you're in favor of lower taxes and free markets, they think you want more money for yourself and you dislike the poor. If you think voter ID is not the worst thing in the world, they think you want to bring back Jim Crow. And you've pointed this out, and David has pointed this out. Progressives don't really believe religious people. They think that David French is in favor of uh, cake bakers or flower arrangers being able to refuse to serve gay people um, because they hate gay people and that the Christianity comes after that rather than is driving it. And Roy Moore is exactly the sort of person that they are going to use to discredit religious conservatism. And if I were a religious conservative, I would look at that and think, I'm not even convinced it's better for our cause to have him there. I mean, I watched him insist to this crowd that he was pro-Second Amendment, which is something I care about. And I didn't believe him either. His way of doing it was to bring a Derringer out of his pocket and sweep it across the crowd, which no one in their right mind who is in favor of gun rights would ever do. (laughs) So I'm not convinced the guy is anything other than a phony from the ground up. But either way... (laughs) This is when he lost you, Charlie, when he mishandled his firearm. (laughs) No, he lost me a long, long, long time ago. But, But it was, interestingly enough, a similar thing, that he was too cartoonish in his defense and I remember when Michael said oh I wonder if there's a scandal here and it's it rang true to me because he he just doesn't come across as the the real deal so I'm sure there are some of you out there banging your heads against the wall at some of those charges I actually think it's true that progressives don't 
believe conservatives are either acting in good faith. I would just also say the opposite is equally true. You know, I think a lot of conservatives don't take at face value that Democrats care about equality or minorities or, you know, women or whatever. They think they just like being scolds. They like having power over other people, so they invent these rules. So neither side really takes the other side's arguments in good faith. But I think what Charles Cook is pointing out that I agree with is that we have to really avoid people who are clearly not acting in good faith. And Trump is one, and Moore is another, because to the extent that the politicians we elect help convince the other side that we are not people who can be dealt with um, because we're dishonest about our own motives and agenda, that just makes politics harder to do. And he also makes a point that I agree with that is like, there is such a thing as a bad advocate in a position of power. There's such a thing as someone who says, you know, let me get this job and I will speak up for Christian conservatives as a senator. But the way in which they do so and the flaws in their character make them such a cartoon of hypocrisy that that's, you know, the long-term effect for religious people is just the rest of society taking you less seriously, which obviously is something that's already happened, right? I mean, part of the reason the left and some liberals is able to be so dismissive of religious people is we have so many examples in public life. You know, the Catholic Church, the church of my family historically, being the prime example of a group of people who are at the forefront of judging others while they committed hideous crimes behind closed doors. And not just hideous crimes, but the exact type of crime they would call other people, you know, evil deviants um, for doing something less than. You know, like, it's it's just, uh, you know, like, people who aren't married can't fornicate or they're going to hell, but we rape kids. Um, and certainly there's been a lot of politicians who are also moral scolds with, with terrible terrible characters. Um, so this is the challenge we're up against, but I, I know that uh, there's a lot of people working hard to try to get this guy out. I think the problem is right now is that he is a Trumpian figure in the sense that negative feedback doesn't seem to affect him. He really doesn't give a fuck. So like donors telling him to drop out, party higher-ups telling him to drop out, people saying they'll go against him during the campaign... He doesn't care. Uh, our hate feeds him. So I don't know what's going to happen, um, but hopefully he will either be forced to withdraw or lose. Um, but we will see. We'll watch it closely over here in the Raider Cove.